listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of The 30 Podcast, brought to you by SilverScreenAndRoll.com, where we have you covered for everything related to the Lakers, breaking news analysis, and of course, can't forget about our podcast network. Don't forget to subscribe, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we're there. And don't forget to check us out on Twitter as well, at LakersSBN. Recording this on a Thursday night after an ugly, ugly 120-105 loss by the Lakers to the Timberwolves. Joining me tonight to break everything down, uh, Alex Regla. Alex, how are you doing tonight, man? Hey, I'm good, Jess. How's it going? Oh, I think I'm doing a lot better than the Lakers were performing about, <laughs> uh, about 20, 30 minutes ago. That was, uh, that was an ugly, ugly loss. They did have some good news beforehand, obviously, with uh, Rondo coming back. I, I thought he looked pretty good tonight. Uh, running the offense, especially in the first half, things were moving and, um, you know, they were getting a little bit more ball movement, setting a couple of stagger screens and, and, and able to kind of roll those guys into open spaces. But the second half, man, they only scored 44 points. Uh, what, what do you think about Rondo first off uh, coming back and how much of an effect do you think he had on the game? Yeah, I agree. I thought early in that first quarter, Rondo, you know, I tweeted something out earlier. It looked like he was in control of that whole game. Like he was setting the pace from the get go and, he was getting guys easy looks, and that's something the Lakers have been struggling with without LeBron and now without Lonzo. He just, you know, he puts the ball in areas where even if it's not a set play, he gets guys in good open spots, and we saw that with like a couple of Michael Beasley cuts and with Ingram. And, you know, he was doing a good job facilitating, and he made a couple threes in that first quarter. But it seemed like in that second half, uh, they kind of resorted back to some bad habits and they kind of went back to that iso ball and kind of just ran the same pick and roll set over and over and over and kind of got swallowed up by that Minnesota defense. Yeah, I think that's that's been a problem all season, especially in the losses. It's become more apparent when they're doing that. Like it's an ugly, ugly brand of basketball. They're just basically setting a high screen roll and it's either one pass and a shot or one pass and a drive. Whereas in the first half, and you've seen it in, in, in glimpses as well, especially against OKC with that win they had there and uh, in Houston until Lonzo went down. But uh, overall, like why is that something to do with Luke, you think? Because a lot of people are you know, bitching and complaining about the job he's doing, but um, the front office ha- has said, we're going to support him. He's our guy. Jeannie Buss has said they're a hundred percent behind Luke. W- why do you think the offense has been so stagnant, especially, uh, you know, showing up in, in losses like this one? Yeah. It, yeah, I agree. It's frustrating. And because like you said, we, we've seen flashes where the offense, it moves well, you know, there's some solid spacing, some good looks that are, are created, but then other times it gets just really brutal and, it looks like they have no idea what they're running and we see players, you know, finger pointing and their heads are down. And I, I don't know who's at fault directly. I mean, I'm not sure, if, you know, if it's the assistant coaches who come up with the game plan or the, you know, who did the scouting report before the game or if it's, uh, you know, on the fly loop play call or what. But I, I mean, the biggest thing is just they're, they're still without LeBron and, you know, he, he creates so much you know, he has so much gravity on the floor that he creates these open looks, even if the offense is, you know, elementary, you know, he, he can just create on his own and get guys in better spots. And now without Lonzo, it's, you know, two of the best guys who get guys in good positions and spots are gone. And thankfully Rondo is back today, but there's just so much that one guy can do coming off a, you know, a broken hand and, and he was probably the best player on the floor today for the Lakers. So, uh, yeah, there's got to be uh, some type of change either in scheme or 
player personnel because the offense is just it's, it's become really stagnant. Yeah, I, th- I think that's one front that that Magic Johnson and Rob Polenka aren't getting enough blame for. Like, uh, you know, it's easy to point the finger to uh, the coach and say, well, you know, it's because of Luke they're not doing well. No, before before LeBron was hurt, I mean, they they were probably going to finish as a top four or five seed if if he doesn't go down and plays all eighty two games. But I mean, mm-hmm. the coach doesn't go out there and shoot eight for twenty eight from the three point line like the Lakers did against the T Wolves. The, the the coach doesn't go out there and turn the ball over nineteen times and give up thirty four points on off those turnovers and, and the coach doesn't go out there and give up 22 offensive rebounds like it, it's not something you can teach you you can't just go into basketball and say all right learn how to rebound I mean you can teach them how to box out and put and try and put yourself in the best position but rebounding a lot of it sometimes for guys who are really athletic they get away with not having to box out as much and, and not play the body but a lot of it's effort I don't think that that's on Luke to teach these guys that like they got smoked on the boards against the T-Wolves mm-hmm. yeah no for sure and you know another game where they shoot below 30 percent from three Again, they shoot below 70% at the free throw line. And then, like you mentioned, they just got destroyed on the glass. And especially in that third quarter, they, they, they were starting, like, they started that third quarter. I think they were on a 6-0 run to start that third quarter. And they ended up, they ended up losing that quarter because of just second-chance points by Minnesota. And, uh, yeah, a lot of it just does come down to effort. Like, Minnesota wanted the ball more, and they got it. And then with Kuz, I guess, you know, news coming out of the game that Kuzma was banged up and he had a sore hip and that might have played a role with him not giving as much effort on the glass against Taj Gibson and Carl Anthony Towns and a lot of it does come down to the players just needing to step up and you know make their shots when they're open like Kyle Kuzma and Josh Hart have been since Christmas shooting below 30 percent overall from three and that just it's it hurts your team your team so much in terms of spacing when your two guys who get a lot of minutes and rotation players just can't find the bottom of the net, especially if they're wide open. That There's just so much a coach can do if the players aren't making their shots. It's, fu- it's funny. It feels like so long ago now that we were looking at it like, oh, man, Kuzma and Ingram and, and Lonzo and they got Josh Hart. What a young core. I wouldn't trade any of those guys. It's like at this point, <laughs> all three of those guys are, are not untouchable anymore. And if you can get rid of three of them to bring in a superstar, you got to make that move at that point. Yeah, like once once LeBron joins the equation, a lot of uh, the rebuilding process kind of goes out the window, and uh, as much you know potential all these players still have, and it's just the reality that you know they're still expendable at any at any moment. And if a deal presents itself, I don't think Magic or Rob Polinka will you know hesitate to pull the trigger if it thinks it'll help if they think it'll help their team. Which you know there's some interesting names out there like Bradley Beal still out there. And then, of course, the the free agents coming up. So, uh, yeah, it seems like these guys know the pressure that's on them. And I, I think they might be trying to do too much without LeBron on the floor. And it's kind of showing. Oh, it's funny you say that, you know, Rob Plenka and Magic Johnson. I'm looking at it like, you know, what, LeBron, LeBron James is probably calling a lot, a lot of the shots, too, with the roster. He has a lot of pull in that place. And he's sitting right there on the bench and watching these guys. And I, you, you have to be at this point because, you know, I did a, the podcast before with Brian Windhorst. And he goes, you know, there's one thing I've learned about LeBron. He's, he's great off the court in terms of he's patient and he's rational. But on the court, you know, when it comes to basketball, he's a pretty impatient man. And he's watching this stuff, obviously, with a, with a better eye for it than, than anybody else in the world. But uh, he can't be encouraged by, by what he's seen. Like, you're looking at the Lakers. They're, they're second overall in points per game for points in the paint. Um, there, you know, that's obviously a good stat. That means you're getting a lot of good looks and open looks, but man, 28th in three point percentage. I think the, the front office guys deserve some of the blame for that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Cause if you're a team who leads 
like you said, like second in, in uh, points in the paint, if you're a team who drives to the paint so frequently, that usually opens up good three-point shots. You know, defenses collapse once you, you know, enter the paint. So the fact that they're still so poor on those three-point looks is kind of, you know, it's not a good sign. Because if you're, the defenses are playing you for the drive, that usually means, you know, an extra swing pass or a hockey assist. You're going to get an open corner three and an open elbow three. And, and we saw tonight, like, Josh Hart had a few pretty wide open threes. Uh, Kuzma had some good looks. They just, again, they just cannot convert. And it, it really hurts the team when it, it's kind of deflating when you get a good look and you just can't make it. And then on the other end, Minnesota hits a corner three or Lou Deng hits a corner three of all people. You know, it, it's kind of like a backbreaker. And um, if they had a little more established shooting, like you mentioned, and those shots maybe go in, like uh, in something I'm sure the front office is going to try to address at the deadline. Well, like you said, Lou Aldang, he had seven points tonight. And the Lakers paid him for for all of them. So, so you know what? It's a, it's good to see that he still has a pulse and uh, he can still make a difference in the league. Like uh, for for those who don't know, Alex uh, does write for Silver Screen and Roll. Uh, studies a lot of the analytical side of the game. When, when you've looked at the team now, five and ten without LeBron since Christmas Day, since uh, they beat the Warriors up there. But um, when you're when you're looking at, at the Lakers from from a statistical standpoint. What is the biggest weak point in this team? Like, if you're looking at at the numbers, what is it showing you that the biggest improvement needs to be made? Or, so, part of me, where does the biggest improvement need to be made? Uh, I think just offense, offense, and overall, like uh, specifically in the half court. Like as we kind of mentioned earlier in the show, they they get pretty brutal in their play calling and uh, what they're running out there. And I think it all comes back to the spacing element and the shooters. Getting surrounding the team with a little better shooting, and especially when LeBron gets back, like I mean, if you just add perimeter threats around LeBron, usually that equates to like a top ten offense, you know. And history has showed us that LeBron plus shooters usually equals good results. But uh, the Lakers kind of went in a different direction with their team building this year, and they're like surprisingly, their defense is like borderline elite. Like they're pretty damn good defensively. Uh, I mean, tonight they did not show that, but. Overall, they've been good there. Uh, but, yeah, the offense needs to improve. The perimeter shooting, you know, making some free throws would be nice occasionally. Um, but uh, overall, just, you know, they need to find some way to generate points without LeBron and when LeBron gets back. Because even when LeBron was on the floor, they were about average on offense. Yeah, I don't I don't know if uh, I, I honestly don't know if if Magic Johnson was looking at this like a 1990s roster or something with him <laughs> and Rob and Palenka. But, um, I, you know, because it was funny when, when they did make those moves in the offseason, they were like, you know, we signed Rajon Rondo to a one year deal. We signed uh, Lance Stevenson and Michael Beasley. It was kind of like, dude, we've seen this before with LeBron. He's better with guys who can shoot. And you might have thought, oh, we need to get him some guys who can create and make plays. Unfortunately, none of those guys have been playmakers other than Rondo. I'll, I'll give Rondo credit. But, I mean, he's only been around for, what, 14, 15 games now this season. Yeah. And, and like, to be fair, like, all three guys, are, or even including JaVel McGee, they have all kind of lived up to, like, what you would expect from the contract they've been given. It's just the, the mixture of all of them. It, it, like they did diversify like you like it's fine to get rondo like he's obviously a, a good backup point guard and good for lonzo but if you're going to get rondo and then add lance and then add and then add uh beasley it, there's just a little bit of like overlap and there's not enough variety there where if you play all three on the floor they all kind of do the same thing in a way so 
it, it'd be nice if they died, you know, they got a different variety of players, like a spot-up shooter specialist, you know, just different. Uh, of, I, the good teams in the league have good players in specialized roles, and I understand Magic and Rob Plinka didn't want to go that route because they believe there's it didn't work against the Warriors, even though, as we saw with Houston, that almost worked. Like, they almost beat the Warriors in seven games, which is surrounding Harden with shooters and defenders. But, um, yeah, right now, unfortunately, it's, we haven't really been able to see a full season of it, so we can't even say if it, it's worked or not. Like, obviously, the numbers say it's not. But, like you said, we've only seen Rondo for, like, 15 games. We've missed LeBron for the last, I don't know how many, and then Lonzo's going to be out for a while. So it's just kind of unfortunate we haven't really gotten a good look at this team. I think I've seen enough of one guy, Brandon Ingram, but we'll, 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 get, we'll get into that a little, a little, a little bit later. Uh, the rumor out there this week, Carmelo Anthony obviously got traded to the Bulls. He'll never wear a Chicago uniform. It's basically uh, they did a favor, got some money out of it from, from Houston for doing it, and Jerry Reinsdorf, notoriously cheap as it is. Uh, the rumor is that the Lakers have some interest. Uh, but they didn't plan on, and they, these are the reports that they didn't plan on on cutting anybody from their current roster to bring them in, which I think is the right decision. I, I don't think, uh, you know, if you look at Carmelo, the last two teams he's played on that were actually good and had some playoff aspirations, it just didn't work out. Obviously, he couldn't make it work with OKC with Paul George and Russ Westbrook. Uh, didn't make it work in Houston with Harden and Chris Paul. And the Bulls and Hawks have just used him as a commodity pretty much. Uh, the old yeah. saying goes, history has a tendency to repeat itself. I don't I don't think a guy who shoots 32% from three uh, with Houston as he was doing this year and had a, de- a defensive rating of 111, uh, I, don't, I don't think he's really going to help out the team too much in perimeter shooting and, and defending. Now, you wrote why the Lakers shouldn't sign him. What, what do the name, numbers show that it, it wouldn't be a good fit with the squad? Yeah, like you mentioned, like if like the like the appeal of adding Carmelo Anthony to this point is his spot up shooting, and he's just he's just not a good you know efficient spot up shooter anymore. Like you mentioned, he's shooting kind of almost near bottom thirty percent on on his threes, and and you would think on a team like Houston uh, with the playmakers and Harden and Paul, like the quality of looks he's getting, he's gonna raise those averages. But again, he's kind of having his I think it was since two thousand not two thousand nine. This is his worst uh, three-point shooting season. And then the season before with OKC, he had his worst true shooting percentage of his career. So it, there's just like a steady trend of a decline there. And like you mentioned, like it's hard to, to like as much people don't like Lance. Uh, I don't, like, I don't know. At, at least Lance understands his role in this team. Like he's not causing any headaches, you know, from what we've heard. And if you're going to cut him for Carmelo, like there's that, that possibility that Carmelo causes some headaches or, you know, he gets more minutes over so-and-so and there there could be a chemistry issues there and then coupled with his decline in play, like there's there's enough reasons to think that they should look elsewhere, especially with the buyout market. You never know who's going to become available. And if you cut someone for Carmelo or you have to end up cutting him and that, that causes something with LeBron because they're friends. Like you want to upset LeBron if you cut his friend. So there's just different elements in play that I think the Lakers should probably just steer away and not even go down that road. I agree with you 100. percent I just, I just think he's he's washed. He's had a he was a, a phenomenal basketball player. I think he should get in the Hall of Fame uh, eventually. But I mean, yo, it's times past. You know, it's, it's time to move on from that. You have some young guys on the team that you want to see uh, they could do. Speaking of which, uh, Zubak, he, he was averaging 17 points a game coming into this one. Uh, obviously, not as much of a, a factor tonight. Only finished with 10 points and uh, eight rebounds. Also, although pretty good uh, on the offensive glass with with four rebounds. But when you look at him. 
Um, wh wh what do you see with Zubak? Like, you know, comparing him to to Chandler and McGee, they're pretty much the same when it comes to rebounding percentages. And the defensive rating is, is slightly uh, slightly better, I believe, than, than Chandler and JaVale McGee's. But what's his ceiling on, on this team and going forward in the NBA? Yeah, like Zubak's almost saved his career here with this recent stretch of play. Like, he was really close to being cut last season and uh, last summer, and a lot of people were upset that they they kept him over Thomas Bryant, who's playing pretty well with the Wizards. And you know he's he's stepped up. You know, prior to LeBron's injury, he was getting some good run there, and he's been like producing pretty well. Um, he's going to be a free agent after this year again, and it's going to be interesting for the Lakers who who have to keep every dollar amount you know open for like a supermax slot for, slot for maybe uh, Kevin Durant. But uh, he's just really, you know, he's just really sounds like he has really good soft hands and he could, he always has his hands ready for the pass and he always finishes high over smaller defenders. Like he had just, he has just had solid fundamental skills that sometimes JaVale would, you know, sells out for those high, those highlight plays and just trying to finish above the rim where Zubats just catches, gathers and goes up and usually is more efficient in, in that regard. And compared to Chandler, who's you know, obviously kind of struggling with his lower back. And he doesn't have that same pop he's he's had in you know when he was younger. Zubats just kind of is like a good like sound mixture between both players and just as a younger you know more effort on the on the floor for most of the time. When I, I think he's just a solid player to have, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers try to bring him back. Yeah, I think he's a good option. I mean, especially with, with JaVale and Chandler not going to be here most likely next season, uh, you know, barring the, they agree to some minimal contract, which could happen. But, uh, yeah, I think he, he's he's getting better. I don't think he, he's the long-term solution in terms of right now you can say, well, he's going to be our guy for the next, you know, five years. But uh, it's always good when a young guy starts showing a little bit of promise as he has. Now, another guy mentioned in, in, the, in the news this week, Dennis Smith Jr., uh, apparently, it was a package of, of uh, I believe it was Zubak, Wagner, and uh, and uh, Josh Hart. I, obviously, I don't think that's enough to get it done for, for the Mavs. But uh, interesting, though, because he does, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. not on an expiring deal. And they were if they did take him on, and if the rumors were true, he would have been here a lot longer. Um, what would you think of his fit coming over from, from Dallas? Yeah, Dennis Smith Jr. is also, you know, an interesting guy. Like, I, I, I guess the fit between him and Luca has it worked out. Like as as they had planned, it would, and and he's unhappy with his minutes he's getting or his role. But I, I was kind of high on him going into the draft. I you know I liked his athleticism, I liked his potential as a three point shooter, and and that's something he showed this year. He's, his spot up numbers are a lot better, and that makes him a you know appealing fit next to Lonzo and LeBron. Um, I think probably the biggest you know appeal in, in getting him would maybe to package him in a possible you know potential other trade and just to load up on more assets. And I'm not sure what exactly the Lakers uh, could offer over other teams for Dennis Smith Jr. And I'm not sure how interested they are at the moment at getting him. But, you know, I've, I've always been kind of high on his potential and I like what he brings to the table. So I, I think he'd be actually a pretty cool fit next to Alonzo. I think that Dallas would be looking for an Ingram or, or Kuzma. And I don't think they, that you should give up on, on Ingram or Kuzma. For, I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. might be a better player going forward, but uh, maybe Ingram. Because I, like I said earlier, I'm not, I just <laughs> am not sold on his game. I didn't like his fit with LeBron as is when, when he first came mm -hmm. in. Uh, it was a bit clunky because he's a guy who needs the ball in his hands to, to create. But like even against the T-Wolves in this one, he, he ended up going 8 for 14 from the field at 20 points, six boards, but it was like, I couldn't even notice him out there. You know what I mean? 
No, yeah, it was, it was a quiet one. Like I didn't, I didn't realize it was that efficient until you mentioned it right now. Uh, yeah, he can. He's. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's, if it goes back to his personality or his demeanor or just the way he plays the game. He could be quiet sometimes. You kind of forget he's on the floor, and that's definitely not a good thing. Uh, I think the LeBron pairing, from what we've seen, was kind of clunky, like you mentioned. I, I think he still needs to work more off ball. I think that that will optimize him a lot more than his, you know, on ball pick and roll self that he's been operating in. But I, as we saw today, like once you let him just catch and attack downhill or I guess come off a screen, like he was still running pick and roll today per, a lot when Ronda was off the bench and stuff like that. But I, I think in the right positions, you know, on the, on the floor and the right utilization, he could still be a solid player. I, I, he's still so young. That's the thing with all these, all these players. They're so young. We have no idea what they could turn into. Yeah, I, but I also think that with, with him, you know, he's going on year three now. He's 21 years old. That, that's fair. But at the same time, it's like I really did think that, uh, you know, after Christmas Day, I'm like, all right, we're either going to see Kuzma or Lonzo or, or Ingram kind of take their game to a next level. Now, you saw it a few times, you know, especially in that stretch where they were playing OKC and, and they had that good mm-hmm. game at home against Detroit. And then they were in that game against Houston the whole way, even after Lonzo went out. So you've seen flashes of it, but over 15 games, none of them have done it consistently. And, and I think that that's on Ingram, too, for a guy who you were looking at, like he's going to be the number two behind LeBron. And that kind of by default turned into Kyle Kuzma. I think Kuzma's had a good, not great season. But it's like, come on, uh, what do you really expect, like, uh, you know, to, to see out of Ingram that you haven't seen before? We're 50 games, 49 games into the year. Uh, the Lakers are sitting at 25 and 24, a game and a half out of a playoff spot. And I think, you know, those losses that they had to the Cavs and the Knicks that are going to come back and haunt them maybe eventually, whether it's trying to get into the playoffs or for seeding, I, I think a lot of the blame does go on a guy like Ingram. And, and, and you're right, you know, his the mental side of the game, I, I just don't think it's clicking for him. And he seems to me about, to be a guy that if he was playing on a team like Atlanta, he'd be dropping 25 a game and everybody would be like, wow, Brandon Ingram's playing so good, but the team would be 15 games below 500. Yeah, like he, yeah, I, I agree. He, like he doesn't play like a winning style of ball, like if, you know, not to use that cliche word, but he does rely on a lot of his mid-range game, which, you know, a lot of us have kind of steered away towards thinking, you know, that's kind of a negative side of the floor, but he like his three point volume hasn't increased. Like we haven't seen the jumps in areas that we wished we would see. Like going into the season, we heard that he was working on his three point shot, and you know I'm not even I'm not even really concerned about the efficiency side. I'm more concerned about the actual volume and the frequency of the attempts. Like if he's not taking threes, then I'm not sure what value he has next to LeBron if he's not being utilized as a cutter. Like if if you're just giving the ball and having him operate with six seconds left on the clock, it's obviously going not end in good results. And so I, I think with Ingram, there's a lot of blame to go on him, and there's blame to go on the coaching staff and the front office. They've kind of switched up his roles every year since. Well, they weren't here when they drafted him, but he, his role has changed almost every year. You know, as a rookie, he was almost just like a three and D guy, and then as a sophomore, you know, again he was point guard Ingram then this year he's point guard Ingram again, but not as efficient. So we haven't seen that jump, like you mentioned, that we wish we would see. 
I'd rather have his uncle Andre Ingram on the team right now. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, I do. I do think that he. Uh, I, I think his only value to LeBron at this point is going to be a third of a, of a package that they have to move out to try and get a superstar play, playing next to him. That's honestly, I think, the only value Brandon Ingram has. Hopefully, I'm wrong going forward. I just haven't seen anything from his game that suggests that he's going to be the player that they drafted him uh, to be. Like we're only a couple of weeks away now from from the trade deadline too, right? It's coming up. February 7th. Yeah. Um, I don't think the team's going to be too particularly active in terms of making multiple moves. I think they might make some roster tweaks. Um, a couple of guys out there who I wouldn't mind if the team took a flyer on, especially because I think it helps them now, uh, not to win a championship, but to be competitive at least and, and get in the playoffs and maybe win a series or two. Uh, Terrence Ross, Wayne Ellington, both on expiring, so it's not going to screw up your, your cap space in the summer. And both can shoot from the outside. Uh, Ross, I think, over, overall is the more dynamic scorer of the two, but I would take Ellington a, as a defender. Uh, is there anyone that might be available that you're looking at that is catching your eye that might be able to help the Lakers out coming up uh, in a couple of weeks here? Yeah, well, I also like Ross. I, I think Ross specifically, you know, he has the size the Lakers are looking for on the wing, and he, he's having a good year from three. And... Uh, Though I'm not sure what Orlando is seeking for him, and Ellington might be a cheaper get. Um, but some other guys I've been thinking of are, you know, I still think they're interested in Trevor Ariza for the same reasons as Ross is appealing. Is he has that veteran, that veteran experience, and he has that good positional size on the wing, where we kind of saw tonight the Lakers were lacking in defenders against like an Andrew Wiggins type. Like besides Brandon, uh, they they have KCP and Hart who are kind of smaller guards. So they're kind of missing that, you know, that 6'6", six, 6'8", six, six, wing defender, especially in the playoff time against, like, a Kevin Durant or James Harden. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, if Washington kind of spirals a bit and they want to, you know, get an asset for, for Ariza, who's probably going to walk after after the year. And uh, besides him, I, I like some – I like the wing Deadman from Atlanta. Like, he's, a, yeah. he's another big – I know the Lakers have bigs, but – they, they're all like you mentioned earlier they're all very similar like Zubats, Chandler and McGee they all kind of are in the paint they're kind of limited in that sense where a guy like Dwayne Dedman or uh, Noah Vonley from the Knicks they, there's some spacing bigs there and then in Vonley's case he's, he's only 23 I believe and he's having a really good year from from three I think he's shooting over 40 percent with the Knicks this year and all those guys are expiring that I mentioned and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Knicks or Atlanta are are, are going to be clear sellers this year. So I, I, I think the Lakers should, you know, target shooting and, and any moves they're looking at, at doing. Well, you know what? As bad as it has been for the Lakers since Christmas, at least you were not Knicks fans. You know what I mean? So that kind of makes it <laughs> uh, makes it a little bit better. But you're right. You know, I think they have to look at at some of those options, whether whether it is a guy like Vonley or or Deadman, like you mentioned, like just something different to bring a look into this team that really hasn't been there even even when LeBron was playing. Like you know, I mentioned earlier, the mm -hmm. team sitting in twenty uh, eighth and three point percentage, they were nineteenth with LeBron. So it's I mean, they were right near the the bottom, you know, the top of the of the bottom half of the league, but. Um, you know, if you can improve that a little bit, yeah, with, with a guy like LeBron, you do have a chance of pulling off a, a, a win or two in, in, in the playoffs. I mean, nobody's beaten Golden State. I think that's uh, a given that everybody's looking at right now. The Warriors are winning the championship this year, and I don't really think that's that was the Lakers' uh, Lakers' plan coming in was to contend for a championship. But mm -hmm. if you're going to be in there, you may as well be competitive because you ain't getting Zion Williamson. So um, anything <laughs> they could do at this point will be will be the right move, like to try and bring in some help, but not you know, hamstring themselves going into the uh, offseason with the cap space. Yeah, and that, that's the thing. They've kind of made things difficult on themselves. Like, they, they kind of have clear restrictions. They can't trade for anyone who has 
years that aren't expiring. They don't want to give up, you know, preferably any of their young core in any type of move that's, you know, a partial rental for the year. And so they have very clear, you know, guidelines with the players they can target, which makes it hard. That limits the talent pool out there, and it kind of makes it hard to figure out who to target and what they're able to give up. Like the Lakers don't have a lot of draft. I mean, they have their draft picks, but they're, you know, they're probably preserving those for a potential Anthony Davis deal or any type of other star deal. So at best, they're going to give up, you know, one of or both of Beasley, Lance, possibly a second round pick. So I'm not sure what that nets you or how much that improves your roster in terms of the player coming back. That's why I mentioned like a guy like Deadman, who's, you know, Atlanta's clearly rebuilding. I'm not sure how much more they can get than a, maybe a second round pick and cap filler. So I would try to approach the teams at the bottom of the, the standings and see if they, they would take a second round pick for one of their, one of their specialists. Like, like Deadman's not, you know, he's not going to be a game changer, but he gives the team a different look in the half court that, you know, they've, they've missed Brooke Lopez in that sense where Brooke Lopez, you know, his spa- like we've seen what he's done in Milwaukee with his spacing ability. The Lakers just haven't had that this year. And next to a guy like LeBron having a pick and pop threat, I think would do wonders in the half court. Yeah, I think they have to make a move because you're really, what are you selling to, to the fans right now? It's like you already wasted, uh, this looks like a wasted season to me. And I'm not saying that it, it's great that they signed LeBron. Obviously at any point you get the best player in basketball to join your team. It, it's a win, but uh, you know, the young guys, especially referring to Kuz and, and Ingram and, and Lonzo, who Lonzo did start to show a flashes for those two or three games, but, you know, obviously end up getting hurt. But none of those guys have taken the leap that people wanted to see and say, wow, um, you know, let these guys come together and get another year of seasoning. And then things are going to be good. They just haven't seen that from them. And and so to me, it's like, all right, you're going to get in the playoffs. You're not winning anything, but cool. That was a part of the plan. So they have to look at improving this team in any way possible, be it short-term or long-term. Yeah, I agree. I, I think especially with, if you have a LeBron, he's not going to be content seeing the team that, you know, he's seen while he's been out and then the front office not make any alterations. Like I, I, I'm pretty positive they're going to make a move. I'm not sure how substantial the move is going to be, but ever since Magic and Plink have come in, they've made a move at every deadline. If they've done well. At every deadline, I, I would argue, I think they've, you know, the trades they have made have been solid trades, and I wouldn't be surprised if they can pull something here. I just don't know how how much it changes things based on how much restrictions they've given themselves. Yeah, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be the big thing, big big thing for this team going forward. It's like, all right, we knew this was kind of a, a restructuring. I don't want to say rebuilding year, but a restructuring year. They got to keep in mind though, man. LeBron's gonna be 35 next year. Let me tell you, when you get to 35, those muscles start tightening up real <laughs> quick. And he missed, you know, what 15 15 games this year. Um, and he and he could miss uh, he he could miss a lot you know a lot more if if something else goes wrong and he you know I'm not saying he's going to because he's been a, a, just an athletic and a genetic freak that that he is like since he came into the league but uh, man Father Time's undefeated so you have to take advantage of the window while while you got it yeah and I think that's what a lot of people kind of bash the Lakers for doing this this offseason we saw like we said we saw the types of players they surrounded him with. And it kind of was clear that they weren't going for it this year. And it was kind of a punted season to try to wait for next summer and see if they can get that second star. And some fans and, you know, people who follow the team are kind of upset that they didn't, you know, go all in when they had the chance. I mean, you know, there's really good guys available in the summer. And I'm sure with LeBron and cap space and some young core, they'll be, you know, definitely an appealing 
spot, we're just not sure if the likes of Duran or Kawhi or if if they'd be interested in that. Yeah, and that, I think that's going to be that's going to be the key, you know, going forward, like you mentioned. But uh, I'll get you out of here on this one, man. Do the Lakers make the playoffs this season? If so, how many wins do they finish the year with? Considering or if putting into into play that LeBron will play the rest of the games, let's say after Sunday going forward. Uh, I yeah, I think I'm not going to bet against LeBron. So I'll say they make the playoffs. Um, in terms of wins, uh, like around like 46, 47, I would say. Uh, I'm not even sure if I'm well, not very right confident there. Not, not very confident there. Well, not very they, confident they have there, a, <laughs> they have a really tough schedule coming up. And even when LeBron comes back, we don't know if he's going to, it's going to take him all to readjust and how, you know, how many minutes he's going to have. It's going to be a minutes restriction and they, they're still going to be without Lonzo for three or four more weeks, or I don't know how long it's going to take. It might take longer, but the West is tough. They didn't do themselves any favors when LeBron's been out with the loss to Minnesota. Minnesota's only a game behind the Lakers now. And the Kings are right there. They're, the Clippers are right there. It's, it's a dogfight now. And they've kind of lost some key games here. And like you mentioned earlier, those Knicks-Cavs losses, that I hope they don't come back to bite them. Yeah, those those might be those are the ones I looked at. Like that, those were tough losses, especially because I mean, yeah, Minnesota is not terrible. They're not good. They're just a pretty average NBA team. But mm-hmm. man, the Knicks and Knicks and Cavs are terrible. So even if that ends up costing you home court, um, that's you know those those are two big big losses going forward. Definitely. Oh man, like and I'm sure Cleveland really stoked if the Lakers missed the playoffs and they had some part in. Keeping them out. <laughs> yeah. Well, Cleveland didn't have much with it without LeBron. So, or with, you know, with him, they were, they were the talk of the town without him. No, nobody really cares about the Cavs in the NBA sense. So, um, you know what? I, I think that the Lakers, to me, looking at it now, 50 games in, I, I think the scary part is you're still having the same conversations now that you were at the 20 game mark. And that, that shows that mm-hmm. the, these young guys who were supposed to take a leap haven't improved enough. And I think that's going to be a cause for concern going forward. Definitely. That that's that's the biggest thing. It's like uh, I've I've learned nothing about this team as uh, like from, from now from the beginning of the season. To now, like I've I still have no idea what this team looks like in the playoffs. If they make the you know if they uh, I I'm guessing they make the playoffs, but I'm not sure what they look like after the deadline. I'm not sure if the style changes when LeBron gets back. It's, this is one of the weirder uh, seasons for the Lakers. Like going in with all the LeBron excitement and just we haven't they've kind of been stuck at the starting line. They haven't really, we haven't really got to see what they built with all the injuries and the suspensions early on and just different factors going in. So it's, it's a weird season. Yeah. They're like me on the start of the hundred meter line. They didn't, haven't even gotten started. I'd be stuck there the entire time. You'd be like, what is wrong? What is wrong with this guy? But uh, Alex, thanks for coming on again and doing this, man. We'll do it again soon for sure. Yeah, man. Thank you again for having me on. All right, no problem. That's Alex Regla. He writes for us at silverscreenandroll.com. You can check him out on Twitter at Alex M. Regla. That's R-E-G-L-A. Check me out at JazzKang21. Uh, the Suns are here in L.A. on Sunday. No word yet officially on what's going to happen with LeBron. That's obviously something to keep your eye out for. I'm sure Harrison, Christian, Anthony, the entire crew over at silverscreenandroll.com will have you covered. Uh, like I mentioned, stats, breakdowns, analysis, of course, podcasts as well. Don't forget to subscribe to us through iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you like to get your stuff. And follow us on Twitter as well at LakersSBN. Again, Lakers, ugly loss against the T-Wolves. Hopefully the King is back on Sunday. I'll be back with a new episode of The 30 next week.